Wow. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. All I have to say is that I'm in a certain mood, a certain vibe, and I just got knocked off my own show. You didn't notice it, though. So if for any reason it happens, again, I don't want to start out on a negative note because this channel is just under siege all the time and more ways than I could mention. So you know how that goes. But right now, I'm in a really good mood, as always. You know, always righteously angry, but always sentimental. And I want to talk about a few things in an abstract way. That's how I'm kind of feeling right now, just kind of abstract. <laughs> and when I said the title is, The Past Seems Sweeter with Each Passing Day, I'm not a person who's living in the past. You all know that I always forge forward with something new for the future in the present day. But right now, I'm kind of feeling good, kind of feeling something and I'm just looking back over not only my life, but the lives of many who can identify with some of the same things, even if you don't go back as far as I do, even if you go back further than I do. It's a certain continuum that we have as black people and as others in their own community. I'm not here to differentiate, just here to just reflect back on certain things that no matter what city you grew up in, or even time period that you grew up in. When we see how the madness is in the world today, we can't help but go back to want to play those old songs. We can't help but want to go back to listen or watch, excuse me, or look at that old photo album. Yes, I said photo album. We can keep pictures on our phone. We can keep pictures online on our computer, but there's just something about turning the pages Sometimes the plastic that's over it is a little stuck and looking at the old photos. We know we have them scanned, but it's something about holding that photo album in our hand. It's more real to us, very much so. It's not digital. And so a song was forwarded to me early this evening, and the person who sent the song didn't know how much that song meant to me on many levels. It meant like so much to me. And I felt that song. And so I say that as we move forward in this uncertain world, in the world that we didn't anticipate, we have to hold on to our past and to our upbringing our roots, to our culture, to our tradition. We have to hold on because without it, we are not undergirded. This is why the enemy has worked so hard to separate us from our true culture and give us a substitute culture, a GMO culture that we can't grow strong in and pass down to our children, grandchildren, offspring, those who come after us because those that came before us had true culture. Even if us transplanted Africans were cut away from what happens in the motherland, we had something more real than we do now. There's a vibration that's gone and it's still there, but it's weaker and it's weakening 
every single day. Our children are adopting what has been manufactured in a GMO way that they feel is our culture, but it's not. Decadence is not our culture. We as adults can separate the decadence from the lovemaking. We can separate the synthesized audio and vocals from the real vocals. We know what it's like to go to a live performance by a singer who can really sing just as good as that album, right? We know that. We know there's a live vibration between us. But so many who have come after us have settled for the hijacked, digitized version that has no soul. And I think back to those simpler times. And this is why I found a whole shitload of pictures from back in Harlem in Washington Heights back in the day, growing up in single-digit ages, and visuals that we see all over the place. Who can't remember those older black women who would sit out on the park bench for the whole day and talk? Their apartments were just across the street or down the block. So they didn't mind coming out in their rollers. They didn't mind all getting a big bucket of chicken, as you can see. And they had their little bag covering up the beer in front of them. They would swear up and down that they were not drinking beer or alcoholic, but we knew they were. But they were the staples in our community. And it doesn't mean they had to be downtrodden or addicted to beer or liquor. They drank it, but you know what? They went through so much stress. Their sons, often locked up or addicted to drugs. Their daughters, pregnant early, maybe a little fast, sometimes just out there doing their thing. There were success stories, of course, and many of these women who would sit out like that had upwardly mobile sons and daughters made them proud. But these women really had to feel a whole lot of pain So whatever little infraction on their decency that they committed, we look past it because even though they were older, even though they didn't look like the picture on the wall in their apartment, when they had a shape, when they looked just delicious, we loved them and they were still beautiful. Those are simpler times to me. And even though my father and mother moved me from Manhattan into Queens, where it was a little better, the houses, the space, the greenery, you know, always keeping in contact with the old neighborhood brought a glow to my heart. And on the left, next to me under the Scurve logo, you always saw those church ladies coming home. And look, this was the concrete jungle. It wasn't really beautified, but there was a there was a love that we had back then that we just don't seem to have anymore. Sure, it was gossip going on. But the ones who gossiped about you heard it from somewhere else. They didn't mean anything by it. But if something went wrong or you had an issue or a challenge or what others call a problem, they were the first ones there. And those were the things that they didn't spread. It was a different world back then. 
And in comparison to now, I hate to say it, and I really don't. I don't want to say I want to go back, but (laughs) I'll give up the cell phone to have the sweetness of that day. I'll give up so much that they have, right, for the sweetness of that day. Because today, it seems like the sun doesn't shine as bright. We're looking for it. I'm not damning today. But when we were raised up years ago, we just knew that when we became adults, that we would have all of the amenities, all of the toys, and all of the right to live a full life. But now, we're being restricted. Now, things are being cut back. Now the vibration, the very vibration that we had and some of us still have is being tampered with. Women don't want to be women anymore. Men don't want to be men anymore. Children don't want to enjoy their childhood anymore and they want to rush into adulthood only to realize they've cheated themselves, only to realize now that they're bitter, that they've taken on something too soon. There's a sweetness to childhood. And those of us who have survived the adult years and gotten into older years and can be set up a little bit to enjoy the adult childhood of being a senior citizen, we still don't enjoy it as much because so many of our peers have fallen by the wayside. And we understand with age that will happen. There's going to be mishaps with our health. There's going to be misjudgments in how you live your life, and you might take yourself out a lot earlier. Senior citizens now are frolicking worse than younger folks, and AIDS is heavy in the senior citizen community. So even though you can get to this age, it doesn't mean that it's any rosier. The promise of the future, the promise that we felt in our hearts that Maybe it wasn't always spoken out, but was insinuated by our elders that when we get older, you're going to enjoy life a whole lot more. And although I have been very shrewd to position myself to enjoy this part of life, how much can I enjoy when my sisters and brothers are not as enjoying it as much? Not because I moved to the motherland, but because of the vibration all over the world. How can I go to the park and enjoy riding on the seesaw when I'm the only one sitting on one end of the seesaw? How can I play tennis and not have anybody to hit the ball back? How can I play softball and not enjoy it or enjoy it when I have no team on my side or on the other side? It it just doesn't seem right. I feel duped. I feel cheated a little bit. Because when I look back to the late 70s, for me, it's the late 70s and the middle 70s and maybe the early 70s. You know, this is not a personal thing, but it is a personal thing. And we all have our memories and proportionate and how can I say it? Even though our memories are different because we grew up in different cities, many can understand exactly what I'm trying to say. And... I feel cheated. I feel cheated. So I think back oftentimes at the adventurous times that I've had, and I replay them in my head. That's my right. I can escape into that, and I can reminisce on that. 
And I find myself reminiscing so much on the past, yet I'm not living in the past. But the past can teach us so many lessons because today we're being ripped off. It's like any place that we can find some kind of joy, it's taken away from us. Why is that? The minute we reach, not necessarily for something physical, but we reach from in our hearts for something that brings us joy, it's snatched away. The minute we start to get into it, it's snatched away. And it makes people not want to open up. It makes people not want to share their feelings. It makes us all walk around with our guard up now. Because even though we can't pinpoint it, we know for some reason, somehow, some way, there's something coming after our joy. But one thing that thing can't take away is our past. And sometimes we have things in our past that we would like to forget. I understand that. But when you take that part out and you think about those good moments that seem to last forever, it makes you understand that when you're presented some good time, even if it's a conversation between like-minded people who are just discovering each other, you seem not to want to let it go. Because when you let it go, you've learned that it's hard to come back. You get into someone, you love them, you cherish them, and you get the phone call one day that they've transitioned. You see, it, it, it just hurts. And this is why I gravitate toward those who can vibe with me this way, those who are in the chat room, those who leave a comment, those who reach out to me privately. It's not about me. It's about that universal vibe that I'm a part of that I know is and was real. And as far as I'm concerned, it's never going to die because that's what I live by. The memories may be in the past, but they'll always be in the present as long as you can remember them. The joke is never lost as long as the punchline is in your heart. And so to all of those who know me and I know them and we have a love for each other on whatever level, that past is still alive. And that past can be ushered into the present. This is why I love to share tales from my past to make you laugh, to make you think, to make you think a little deeper. It's necessary that we do this, just like our oral history, and no man can write a book and lie in it. When we spoke it and passed it down, it was the most authentic way. But they have a game called telephone. When you tell one person at the end of a 10-person line something, by the time it gets to the end, it's something different. That's when people come in to alter what we are, and we can't find that light switch and return back home and turn the light on. You know, it's, it's to me, like again I say, the sweetest memories were when we had the simplest times. We've fallen for the complications of this technological world, and now that technology is turning around on us. We have these YouTube shorts and Instagram shorts and LinkedIn shorts and Twitter or X shorts dumbing us down. We don't even want to read a book anymore. We don't have the attention span. We've allowed this thing to take us over. We've allowed this thing to put a cloud over our world. And I hate it. I don't like it. You take it and you deal with it enough to enhance 
but it doesn't mean it becomes your whole thing. What happened to walking down the street with someone who you care for? Let's just say on a romantic level, for the times that it was like that, because you just can't be romantic with everybody. What happened to holding their hand and feeling that electricity from them? And it was such a good feeling just to hold their hand. And when nobody was looking and the sun was going down, you turned around and you pulled them close to you and you kissed them deep. And you felt this electricity inside of you. You felt this love inside of you. Now when men walk with women, the first thing they want to know is how good is their head game? How disgusting. Let me tell you something. People will say, well, Lance, you're a hypocrite. You've talked about uh, uh, graphic sexual things. Yes, I have. But I remember what it was like before all of that. I remember the good parts of it all. I've talked about things. I've experienced things. And if I can take all of those things and put them back and give those memories back and make those times never happen in my life, I'll go back to when it felt so good to get a peck on the cheek from a woman that you dated for the night. And maybe you want to see her again. The simpler times were way better than what we have now. Nothing compares. It's so different. I feel like if you ever watched the movie Rambo, First Blood, the first one, the one that was really simple, and he walked from town to town. He was a Vietnam vet, and he was disconnected from most of the world, and he walked alone. He walked by himself. Now I'm connected to everyone here and so many other places. And I just want to give a shout out to Brother Usher who spotted me in the Medina market today. He said, I know you. I know you. And the love that he had in his eyes. He didn't know what to specifically say about why he loved me, but he got down with the channel. And maybe I made him feel a certain way. And even if he didn't remember any videos or ever went back to it, there was a bond there that was ready made. And when we locked eyes, I knew he knew me from YouTube or somewhere on social media. We took a snap and I put it up on Instagram and Facebook. And it meant something to him. And it meant something to me. It's not about internet fame. It's about that connection that people feel between each other. That bond of love, true love. I'm not talking any homosexual thing with me and another man. But the true love we have for each other, regardless of the sex. Because we know that we come from the same root. We know we have the same ideology. It doesn't have to be picture perfect the same. No, it doesn't. We can have overlap and we can have differences. And it's the differences that make life interesting. But what happened to the basic love that when you see the person that you love or you care for and you look at them and you just enjoy them for who they are? Nobody's perfect. And we love their imperfections, whether they stutter, whether they walk with a limp, whether they have bad pimples and zits on their face, it doesn't matter. See, I grew up in a world before Photoshop came to be, removing pimples, adding teeth, changing your complexion, slimming down your nose, adding hair where there is none. We took people as they are, and it was a beauty to them that went beyond the physical. So when I look at these mothers here, who may have been scarred a little bit living in America, coming up the hard way, Oftentimes, when they were up north, they had some kind of root in the south or maybe in the Caribbean, and they had to make the adjustment to come into this new world, and the system started to squeeze them. But they carved out their life, 
but they clung to each other. And they would come outside every day and sit out and talk. And that's what it was all about. You're looking for your friend. You wanted to talk about the news. You wanted to talk about the neighborhood. Sprinkle it with a little gossip. So what? You still cared for each other. But the bottom line, we held on and we manufactured another kind of culture that we didn't have in the motherland, but we made it work for us. So even though we were away from nature in the inner cities, as kids when we came home and we walked up endless flights of steps, like myself, I was five years old, five and a half years old when we moved away from Manhattan, but I remember the apartment building. And I Googled it the other day, I put the address inside, and it was a, a condo now a very expensive condo and it showed the inside of the apartment and they can't really change it that much. I'm like, look at that. It's the living room that I used to be in when I was a child, three years old, demanding of my mother. They play the white man's heaven is a black man's hell. I always listened to that before I went to bed. I'm looking at this glossed over apartment that looks so perfect. And I thought to myself, the white folks that are gentrifying the neighborhood and moving into that place, they don't know my root. They don't understand the memories that were created there that are very much alive to me. And it was a beautiful thing. And so you move on from that. It's their time to live there now. For me, hey, that's part of my root, but I always remember it. I'll never forget it. Never forget your roots. Whatever you think that may not be important because the world around you tries to reduce the importance to you, you uphold that. You tell people about that because the baton has been passed to you and now it's your time to manifest whatever it is you're supposed to manifest in your life. And you're going to have challenges, but you have to think about all of the people who came before you who are riding on you, depending on you to move up even if it's just an inch. You don't have to run miles in record time. But if you just hold on, because you see sometimes the storms can be so rough that you have to close your eyes and even just stand still as the winds push you back the other way. But the main thing is that you hold on. And remember that if there's a past, there's a present. And with that present, especially the present that you are to this world, there'll always be a good future because you carry what was put in you, and you preserve it and hone it. And that's my job, to do it from my end, and that's your job to do it from your end. And we walk with this thing, even when the world attacks us and tries to rip us off of what we have that they can never create, they can never have. They don't have our roots. They don't have our past. They don't have our culture. So they have to come up with something new to try to dupe us and fool us into exchanging it. And for those of us who do, we realize that we had something really, really precious. I don't know what made me talk like this tonight, but I just had it on my heart. And that's just the way I roll sometimes. No script, just straight from the hip, from the heart. But I tell you, when I think about, for me, my experiences, especially growing up in New York City, you know, it was really, really sweet. And I know now the places I've gone, the places I've explored, I had to be protected. 
because I was so many different places and sometimes and oftentimes nobody knew where I was. I'm just wandering. I had to be nosy. I had to see this and I had to see that. And I went up in places sometimes that I might have been too young to go into, but I had to know and I had to see what was going on. I've been invited to parties by girls I didn't really even know that much. Come on out to Brooklyn. Let's go. Let's go to this party. And you leave because the feeling tells you to leave and there's a big shootout in the place. And you're like, whoa, I was just dancing with that girl. She's the one who invited me and she caught a bullet to the head. It messes you up. And then when you see this time and time again, not that everybody you're around dies or gets killed, but you realize that I'm still here. And so for me, my responsibility is to represent everybody who has fed life into me. It's my responsibility back to them that in my own way that I honor them with my presence. I didn't always think this way. You know, I thought maybe that I was insignificant. Not that I I was trained that way. My parents put it in me that I am somebody. But this world can beat you down and have you questioning yourself sometimes. I just want to say that even if you find yourself at that place, understand that you count. You are part of the link in a whole chain. You may not know the other links in the chain, but those other links are depending on you just the same way that you depend on them. You may not see them. How many people really know their great-great-grandmother? But the genes that she passed down is in you right now. So she lives through you just like your great-great-grandfather. How many of us are going to live long enough to know our great-great-great-grandchildren. Pretty much we're not. But what we are today and what we accrue today as far as our wisdom, it's not just a physical DNA. It's a spiritual DNA. It's a mental DNA. So if we have things that are residue in our system, in our lives, it's up to us to clean it up before we present our DNA to the subsequent generations that are coming behind us. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a crucial thing. We get caught up in what we see in the world. Yeah, we do. But let's not forget our mission to keep ourselves intact, to improve ourselves, to input data into our DNA, into our subconscious mind, and into our spirits so that as time goes on, we live on through and we set them up. It's easy on this level, even though it doesn't seem to be, to accrue money and have it in the bank and get wealth. And then if we don't input the right things into our offspring, and it doesn't have to be offspring that comes out of your loins. It could be children that were born of another that are parents. But it's your responsibility to influence everything that comes across you in your path. We don't have that anymore. We're so closed up. I remember in scenarios like this, walking down the street with my father, and my mother sometimes, but my mother, my father was the one who was always not in the street, but because he had his own business, we'd find ourselves out one. I love going with him. And in those times, pictures like this from the early 70s are snapshots that I always saw. And we couldn't walk past ladies like this without saying good evening, good afternoon, good morning. Oh, what a handsome young man or young man you are. And when I was early on, I didn't know. Hey, say thank you, you know, and I learned how to show respect. And we built each other up no matter what. 
no matter what these young ladies here on the bench went through in their life, they always had an encouraging word. There are men, older men, who might be sitting out in front of the barbershop, and they would see me, and I would always, I thought I was a boxer, I was shadow boxing, five and six years old, and they'd give me a tip on how to throw my right cross. And my father might come back and say, well, you know, he was a little wrong with that because your foot position was wrong or whatever, but they saw something in me. And I'm going to tell you something about my psyche. I was never overblown or thought more of myself than I should. But when I saw people who were downtrodden in my neighborhoods, that they were still alive, but they went through things. And you can tell they went through things. And they went through battles untold that you would never really know the depths of it and how it affected them. And I was young and fresh. I felt like a hero to them. The way they looked up to me. Young man, as you get older, and they would give me advice. And I would take it and absorb it and think about it. The music then was so much better. There were songs that played over and over on the radio, and it didn't have to have a two- or three-month window of being played. It wasn't the business of music, hijacked music, the way it was. If it was hot, three years from now, you'll still hear it on the radio on a regular basis as long as people wanted to hear it. They used to have it where people would call in and say, listen, this is what I want to have you play. They could never say no. We would go to parties, and everybody would bring their records. 45 RPM records. And sometimes people would end up bringing three of the same record. Not one person bringing three of the same record, but three different people bringing the same record. Let me be your rocking chair. Rock you everywhere. Let's get it on. Come to me, baby. Ooh. They were talking about having sex. But the song was so shrewdly put together. And we as kids, we rocking back and forth because we talking about let me be your rocking chair. Rock you everywhere. Let's get it on. Come to me, baby. It was beautiful because all age groups can go to a party and enjoy themselves. Folks had the red light on in the basement or in the living room. You know, the kids weren't around then. And you had the slow jams playing. What happened to that? That was the whole world when you can get up and dance close to a beautiful woman, a beautiful black woman, and hold her close. You didn't put your hands on her butt cheeks. You held her at the waist. Now, maybe your pinky ventured an inch or two over that belt line, right? But it never went any more than that. And you had played love songs. The time is right. Hold me tight. The original Love Won't Let Me Wait by Major Harris. And you stood in place and all you did was just move a little bit. And as you felt it, you got closer and closer. And her head was her face to your neck or face to face or cheek to cheek. And as she breathed, you, you felt the breath. She was so fine. When she exhaled, you wanted to inhale. That's how beautiful it was. The smell of her hair, the smell of her perfume, but you wanted to inhale her real scent. And you know the parts of her body that were pressed upon you, but it wasn't just about that. It was because she was made so beautifully. It wasn't a horny sex thing. Later on, after you got together, possibly, 
Those things would happen, but it was a beautiful moment. And yes, men, you might have got excited and they might have felt something poking them, but you didn't just move forward with that. It was the beauty of the moment. And when the song was over, you still held each other, hoping for another slow song to come on. And it was an absolute beautiful thing. Now, you go to any gathering, and the women are bending over and spreading their ass cheeks. And dudes are just trying to rub up on them. Now, I know lots of times with Caribbean culture, it can get a little crazy. I'm not knocking anybody from the Caribbean because they had a lot of decent things going on back then. The modern stuff is what is getting crazy. And, of course, if you're behind closed doors with your significant other, go ahead and play. Go ahead and explore. Go ahead and get freaky. Do all the things you want to do because that's your right, because you earned that. But back then, there was a system. It didn't get to that point like that. How dare you even insinuate that something went on with a woman that never happened? You would tarnish your reputation, and no woman would want to be bothered with you. You had to cultivate being a gentleman. You had to know the art of conversation. You had to be able to let her know that you were interested without being lewd. You had to make her know that you were or she was going to feel safe when she was in your presence. You had to melt her down righteously. And she wanted that, but nothing too fast. You had to get to know each other. You had to build it up. That's the way things were as far as I'm concerned. You had parents. You had parents that lived up and down the block. You had parents that you had to respect. You had to respect them the same way that you respected your own parents. And if you even gave them as much as a a funny look before you got home, your parents knew, even if it was just a mother that you had or just a father, or it may not have been parents. It may have been your aunt or your grandmother, but we were more cohesive in the black community back then. And that grandmother, mother, father, whoever raised you in that household would walk you back down the block. And you had to admit to what you did. And you were going to catch a butt whipping back because of that. And you were made to never, ever, even if you didn't know them, anybody of age who was your elder, they were on the same level as your parents. You see, the way I look at it, this world is like a suit, whether it's a suit for a man or some type of dress-up outfit for a woman. But they all have threads. And when those threads become unraveled and fall apart, The whole suit falls apart. The threat of decency has been removed from the black community. The threat of respect, self-respect and respect for others has been removed pretty much. We still have some threads there. We still have some communities there. We have a lot of youngsters who are very respectful and very progressive, and they will go places. But more so now than ever before, it's not the way it used to be. Everything has fallen apart. And I'm not saying that to doom the present and the past. I'm saying it as a call out for those who remember. So let's pick up the pieces and bring it all back together again.
Now we have social media. Now we can see every single thing that we want to see. As adults, we can do that because our mold has already been formed. It's like walking on concrete that was freshly put down. It's hard now, but it still looks wet. And the forms are still on, so you say, excuse me, can I walk on that? Is that dry? Yeah, it's dry. It's okay. You can walk on it. That's what we are now, right? But the youngsters, their mold has not been set yet. So they get on in a curious manner with the same curiosity that we had, but we didn't have the outlets to exercise this curiosity as deep as those in the present do. And that's dangerous. Because if you have ever heard the term Pandora's box, when you open up that box, you can't unsee what you saw. You can't take away the experience of what you saw and how it warps your mind. And I admit even before the internet, when I was much younger, I pushed myself up in so many places, just being nosy, just exploring, where it had the same effect in a way. You see? So we got to be careful what we expose our children to because if the decadence that we see blows our mind today, the seeds are being planted for something worse tomorrow, and tomorrow is not just 20 years from now. When these children who are born in 2023, let's give them till 12 or 13 years old, the ones that we cannot corral in and save. By the time 2035 and 36 comes, when they're 12 and 13, trust me, we'll be a lot older. I know I will be. In 13 years, I'll be 73 years old. Hopefully, I'll still be here talking the way I do. But if not, just think about what that time is going to bring in a very accelerated level, especially when we have the government and society and the powers that be telling you and telling your youngsters that what is natural is something to be laughed at, that the unnatural is natural and the natural is unnatural, that right is wrong and wrong is right and good is bad and bad is good. So they're offering all of this to destroy us because our real nature is to be decent and to be subservient to what's right. It doesn't mean we have to be up in the church all the time, but subservient to that voice of righteousness that has nothing to do with man's religion. We're losing that because of the mixes and in, in, in the hooks in these rap songs and different things over and over and over. And then we have the visuals that come. Don't you know that there's certain videos that when, you're, when you have a propensity to have seizures? I believe it was Pokemon. I can't tell you exactly how it worked, but there were certain Pokemon cartoons that were on the TV that flashed in a certain way and it caused grown-ups and children to have seizures. I don't know if you all can remember that, but that's what happened. And there's so many things going on in the world right now that we walk past unknowingly. Things about us down to our DNA that are being tampered with. How we are being experimented on and don't even know it. We live oftentimes in a place called the projects. Why do they call it the projects? Because it's a project. It's a place of experimentation. You put us together in an unnatural environment, 
And people say, well, I didn't put you there together. You, you, you chose to live there. Well, the money that we make in your society dictates where we live. We can't live where others live. That it costs so much. The money you make dictates where you live, yet and still, they tell you, oh, you have freedom to go wherever you want to go. Yeah, in the daytime when you're up and about, but you're going to find yourself back to what you can afford. And it's going to be very limited. And you're going to have a food desert. So you have these dollar generals and dollar stores that say it is cheap food. You don't eat for nutrition. You eat to knock off hunger. So you're overfed and undernourished. Frustrated, you get older, and you feel as though you're a woman now. You should have a certain respect. You feel as though you're a man now. But are you a man if you can't take care of your family? They have all the billboards advertising all the brand new cars in our neighborhoods, which if you take the neighbor away, it's called hood. Just because you live in a hood doesn't mean you have to have hood-like uh, qualities. Because I remember back in the day, there were some people who lived in their apartments their whole life. Their whole life. Rent-controlled apartments. And even to this day, there are people that I know of that are in gentrified parts of New York City and Manhattan where it's so rich-looking and flamboyant. And they are Three and four and five thousand dollars a month for their apartment, but there's an old black woman who's been there since 1959. She's still there paying 110 dollars, and they can't wait to get her out. But it never changed her. It never took her away from her morale, sense of dignity and respect, even if she didn't have much money. There's certain things that our sisters back then didn't do on mass. Yes, we had prostitution back then. I remember I was a young boy at the stoplight in my father's van taking a peek at the derrieres and the boobies of the women and saying, whoa, I can't wait to get older. But even then they turned around from my hungry eyes and didn't let me see because they weren't out there for me. They were out there to make a living. And even some of the prostitutes that I got to know personally, no, I never went and purchased the goods of a prostitute. But I happened to know in my travels different ones and got to know why they did what they did. Some of them were addicted to drugs. Some of them had children they were trying to put through school. And they just said, hey, if I got to sacrifice myself to bump them up and get them to the next level, they don't know what I'm doing. Nobody asks you where you get your money from when you spend it in the supermarket. My kids are not going hungry. This is what I do. Don't judge me. I've been through a lot. So I've known many women who have done things. I've known many women who were just lazy and didn't want to work. I didn't really get down with their company that much. But I've known people who've been through so much pain, coming home from a hard day's work, happy to be married to their childhood sweetheart, Married for 10 or 15 years. I heard this story when I was about seven years old. My father engineered meetings with me and different people to tell the stories that they went through. It was almost like an engineered version of the theory scared straight that they had on TV where they had the young kids come to the prison. And the inmates were putting it on thick. They were part of a program, and they were working off their time, so they agreed to do this. 
But way back in the late 70s, I remember they had scared straight. And I wasn't a wayward child. I wasn't doing anything wrong. But my father wanted me to know exactly what the real deal was in life. And so we walked into this abandoned building. I had complete trust in my father. But I'm like, Daddy, where are we going? <laughs> you know what I mean? It was a completely abandoned building. And it was in the South Bronx, where at the time was all burnt out. You can go miles and miles and see abandoned buildings and different things going on. Even the cops didn't want to go into those areas. You had an area called Hunts Point, and it's still the same way right now. It's one of the worst areas in New York City you ever want to go to. If you can remember and go back maybe two decades, maybe 25 years, they had a show on HBO called The Point. It was Hunts Point. And I remember as a young man in my early 20s driving with friends of mine, we drive up to the point to go see the site. And we go into the Bronx, and there was a narrow little bridge, not a huge long bridge over a body of water. I think there was water under it. But even as we passed it, there was a place called Spofford. And Spofford was a place for juveniles and wayward kids. And Mike Tyson can tell you that he met Muhammad Ali for the first time when he was in Spofford. He wasn't even boxing at the time. You see how history laces itself up and connects. And this is why we have to tell our stories. Because somebody may not even know that or link the story I just told. But we would go over that bridge. And in the daytime, it was miles and miles. It was an island. It was Hunts Point, one way in and one way out. The cops would oftentimes at night park on the safe side of the bridge and not go in because they knew that whoever went in had to come out. But in the daytime, from all over the country, you had the 18-wheelers that came to Hunts Point for the warehouses that were there for vegetables and fruits from all over the country, and restaurants would come there to get their stuff, their food. It could be sushi. It could be steak. It could be salads. It could be pork. It could be chicken, whatever it was. And that was that, that's what it was in the daytime. But when those warehouses closed down, it became a different place. And many who have been there know exactly what I'm talking about. So for us to hop in a car or my van and drive in there and drive deep, Miles and miles, deep, deep, deep. You saw the prostitutes. You saw the crackheads. And at times when we went, there were no crackheads because there was no crack. You saw the pimps from down south with the South Carolina, Georgia plates, and they were matching. This was something out of the 70s. They might have had a pink coat with fur, a pink hat, pink pants, pink shoes, pink Cadillac. <laughs> we weren't glorifying in this, but there was, this was another world that most people would ne never see. You'll see it on movies, but we saw it in real life. This is what gives me the gumption to even want to tell stories that I've, of things I've seen. This is not off a movie. I was so blessed to witness everything from the decent to the indecent, from the decadent to things that were so respectful. And I love my community, but I can also discern a little bit of everything. I can detect when there was pain in somebody's eyes. I can detect when there was joy, that they might have gotten a little relief because 
the church lady went after the service after giving her tithes. She went and hit the number. She didn't just do it straight. She played it in combination. So she got more of a return, and she went and still praised Jesus. Whatever it takes, we all have our vices. For many of us, the worship of the pastor is one of the biggest vices, so they can't look down on the person who's alcoholic and sitting in the curb nodding out next to the heroin addict. I remember on 119th Street, that was a notorious heroin street. You had so many people nodding out. And I remember my father bringing me down here and telling me the deal of what was going on. And I was already now into competitive bodybuilding, and the guys and the girls like, your son is built, man. And my father was always proud. Lance, take off your shirt and flex for that. And I'd have a crowd around me. Oh, my God, look how he looked. That's what happens when you live clean. And I was humbled by it, but I knew what was going on with them because my brother, my older brother, was often in those streets and oftentimes on that street looking to cop his drugs, broken dreams, unfulfilled potential. And I would see this with my naked eyes, and I said, you know what? These are my people, but they took a fall. There's a silent a very loud spiritual war going on in the black community. And I see the effects of it. It doesn't mean you have to go and enlist in the Army, the Marines, the Navy, or the Air Force to go across the world and fight somebody and come back messed up. You can get messed up right here in America. And I saw that. And I was determined to not fall like that. Not that I was looking down on anybody. My father let me know how far you can fall. And just like he walked me into that building in the South Bronx, walking over bricks, rats a few feet away from you, cold because it's winter. Might have been that night almost 15 degrees, but he made sure to bring me at that particular point. He was my trainer. My mother was my trainer. right? But my father as a man was a trainer to me. He showed me the ropes, showed me the moves, showed me how to think when things get bad and you have to overcome. And he had this man who was shooting drugs, and I knew he knew them. We didn't just walk up randomly, but he shook his hand, and my father had multiple names in the street. He wasn't a street person, but many of the Latino people would call him Bruno. Because of his arms and the tattoos from the British Navy that he had in his arms. And some of the West Indians would call him Spider. I don't know why they called him Spider because there was no spiders on his arm, but I know there was another tiger on the arm also. And who knows? I might emulate that. I got one little tat on me, but I might emulate that. I got to get my arms back big again like my father's were. But that person, there were two of them. They were both Puerto Rican, black Puerto Ricans. And he said, listen, I want to tell your son why I'm out here. My father agreed, but I know this was all staged, but it had a great impact on me. And he said to me, he said, yo, you don't want to be out here like me. You don't want to be broken like me. I'm out here because I'm in pain. And I'm so broken that I don't think I can get over the pain. And he used language now. 
my father, I believe, told him not to hold back. He said, I was with my woman for many years. We were childhood sweethearts, and I had some really good friends around me. One day I came home from work early, and my wife, who was my childhood sweetheart, was in the bed with my best friend, and he seemed to be deeper in her than I ever been. I'll keep the language decent. He didn't say that. I'm saying that for now. But he broke it down with the F word and all this, and he was in shock. He just didn't walk in. He cracked the door. He didn't enjoy what he was seeing, but he was in a state of shock. He said immediately he just screamed out after a few minutes of seeing what he saw. He saw his wife do things to this best friend of his that she never did to him before. And it broke him. He screamed. He had a pistol. I think he shot it off. Not at them, but he just lost his mind. And he ran out of the place. And he was never the same. He never went back to his job. Never came back home to his wife. After a while, the divorce papers came. They found him. They signed it. And that was it. And he took to a life in the streets. And he says every day that he pushes that needle in his arm, he gets to forget what he saw, what broke his heart. It's like, wow. I knew what people did in the bed, but I didn't know exactly and explicitly, you know. I was much younger, right? But I knew what I saw in him. And I said to myself, I never want to find myself in that place. But many years later, when I was older, and I found myself in that same position, walking in on somebody that I thought I loved. I knew how to hold it together. I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to find myself pushing a needle in my arm or drinking something I shouldn't be drinking or smoking something I shouldn't be smoking because, you see, as I got older, I was the only one left. And it wasn't a pressure on me. And I have an older brother, but he's done. He's cooked. Maybe something would happen, something would drop in from the sky and change him. But even though he's my brother and I take him as my full brother, we had different fathers. So I was the sole survivor. And after my parents passed away, and I'm going to take this off of me as far as me making it about me. I want to speak about us overall. But I couldn't fail now. I was the sole survivor, and whatever life brought to me, I had to take it on the chin. It's almost like Star Trek, when Captain Kirk was the only one on the ship, and everybody got hit by the spores. The whole crew left the ship, and they were down on this planet, forgot their mission, and they were kibbutzing around, kissing and hugging and sexing, and we knew what the insinuation was. And Captain Kirk got hit by the spores, and he wanted to go down to this hedonistic pleasure and forget about everything that, that he had to do on the Starship Enterprise. And he had to struggle because they were telling him to come down. But if he beamed himself down off of the ship, it's a wrap because there would be nobody else to beam him up because the ship would be in orbit and empty. So he had to struggle. And he had to come up with an antidote to snap him out of what the spores hit him with. 
And I'm not saying you have to do this, but it was strong and violent emotions that he had to get into. So he lured kept, uh, Mr. Spock up. Say, listen, Spock, you can go back down. I need you. Come on. Come on, Jim. I don't, we never saw Mr. Spock laugh. Mr. Spock was getting laid. <laughs> he was doing the Vulcan mind meld, right? <laughs> Without putting his hands on him, right? It wasn't a mind meld. It was a head meld, right? So he said, okay, okay, Captain, I'm going to come up. And when he got to the deck after getting beamed up, Captain Kirk knew that Mr. Spock was so much stronger. So he had like a club or something. And so he started to insult Mr. Spock. So when Mr. Spock got insulted and mad, it shook off the effects of the spores that was shot out of these plants. You look at the plant close enough and it shot out this thing in your face and you all of a sudden you, you were post-orgasmic. You saw the world different. You didn't want to do anything worthwhile. So he found out that these violent emotions, he made fun of, fun of Spock's mama. He called him stupid, all these different things. You should be right next to the dog-faced boy in the circus. And, you know, Spock was half human and half Vulcan. But the human side got pissed off, and it shook off the effects of the spores. So if I had any curiosity when I was younger, the bottom line is that my father showing me these things and taking me around, it was never an option for me. And I'm so glad because as I became the sole survivor after they both transitioned, it held me intact until this very day. So we have to understand that whether we have 10, 20, 30 brothers and sisters, that we have a path that we have to travel down. We have a baton that was passed to us. We have a destiny to fulfill. And even if it seems like you're at the end of your rope, it's not for you to judge that. It's for you to accept what you're going through and allow it to permeate your system and make you stronger. You don't know what you're made stronger or being made stronger for. All those years of bodybuilding that I did, I did quite well as somebody who never took steroids, but it wasn't just that. It was making my mind stronger. It was giving me discipline. It was giving me drive and focus. So I can take that drive and focus even at this age, and I can utilize it because it's so well ingrained in me. There are areas of my life now where I'm not super strict with certain things, right? But I know how to push that button and activate that thing because you have to know that you're a champion. And all the things that you've gone through, you may not know why you went through it, but you're being trained for a reason. Whether it's through a parent, a grandmother, or just the situation alone that you suffered in the midnight hour through. That's what it is. We're all champions. And even if we can't claim that our parents are multi-billionaires or millionaires or have a status in the world, we're all royalty. And after all we've been through as a people, to have our culture snatched, to have our dignity robbed, just because that happened and you can't pinpoint it, the fact that it happened is enough reason to know that you're that. Because if you weren't that, these other people wouldn't work so hard to take away your culture and your dignity and who you are. And if you don't remember anything else that I say, there are things that I've been through that I haven't even shared. There's things that I've been through that I don't even know how to bring up the words to convey it to you. The bottom line is that 
We come from something, even if we don't think we are. Those ladies sitting on the bench on the banner, they're our queens. They took the blows for us. They may be eating some food that they shouldn't be eating. They might be drinking a little something out the bag on there or right on the ground. And we know that's beer. But that's no reason to disrespect her. We don't know what pain she's dealing with. We don't know what pain we're dealing with right now. But even though we dealt with pain back in those days, like the title says, the past seems sweeter with each passing day because of the world that we're in. And I'm not saying God in the European sense. I'm saying that as verbal shorthand because it's three letters and it encompasses everything. But only a God can save us. But that creator, most high, whatever you want to call it, we've turned away from it. I say nature. I'm not saying that the creator is nature. But nature is what's left for us as instructions. We see it every day. Even if we're in the inner city, there's always that plant that coming up between the crack and the sidewalk in a neighborhood that doesn't have any greenery to let you know that I'm always here, to let you know you might not see me, but my presence is here. And that's all you need to see. After all man does and has ripped up the world and tore it up and turned us inside out and upside down that we can find in the worst hood, Gunshots and shells, crack files, used condoms, old Cheetos wrapped, thrown down, garbage. That a plant would find its way and find its way as a seed through the crack. The plant was around long before we were, and it found its way to manifest. So the potential that you have on the inside, never let it diminish. Never think that it doesn't mean anything. If I thought that way, I'm not saying I'm some great person, but way back in the day, when I first learned how to cut a computer on in February of 2001, and I called my friends 3 o'clock in the morning so happy that I learned to turn on the computer because I had no technological skills. I put the computer together the way they said, not the insides, but just plug this in here, plug this in. And I was like, wow. And when I discovered what the internet was all about, I said to myself, I'm going to be me. Even if the me that was then is different from the me that is now, 95% is still the same thing. I may have said a, a few things mm -hmm. I didn't understand and I learned. You know, you go back to some of the old stuff and I'm trying my best feeling the light switch out in the dark. But here I am now. And I'm still going to be myself. If I wasn't myself, I wouldn't be able to speak from the heart like I do. I'd be fumbling papers over here, well, uh, 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 number two and number three and no. Throw that shit down. Let's have a real conversation from the heart, heart to heart and soul to soul. But we got to get back to cultivating what was so sweet in the past. And again, like I always say, we always had high gas prices. We always had sometimes a bad economy. We always had war. We always had drugs pushed on us. We made it through. And look at those who are purposely killing themselves now, who have money. When the so-called stock market takes a dip slightly, they want to jump off a roof. They're the ones killing each other in all this perverse activity. And they want to bring us in with them. 
We got to stop that. We got to stop letting the enemy of us pull us into all of the stuff that's destructive to us. Because no matter what, you would see those ladies on the park bench right there. There might have been some things that they did. They might have, one of them might have been with somebody else's husband and talking about it. But one thing, they would go only but so far, and they wouldn't do it long. That's what kept them surviving. That's why these people like this were staples in the old neighborhoods. They lived to damn near 100. Now, if they treated themselves bad, they might almost touch 80, but wasn't nobody dying when they were 40 years old. Yeah, you had some, but people got to older ages. Even in the unnatural condition of an inner city, the projects, the bad food, the fried food, the sugary food, lack of vitamins, overfed and undernourished, they still lived. Because at the root, when they came from down south, they said, hey, we ate them collard greens and we had them potatoes and we worked hard in the sun picking the cotton and out in the farm. They had a foundation. These days, our children start out with the worst, and we think we're doing the best. And so now, all I can do now is hope for the best and think back to the past. What does it say when your computer gives you the black screen? I don't know how it's worded, right? Because it hasn't happened to me in a long time. But back in the day when computers were a little more, you know, not primitive because they were always advanced. Push F11 or push F6 or whatever it was to go back to the earlier manifestation of, of whatever, to go back to the earlier version, whatever it was, that you can back out of that thing crashing. But that's what we got to do as a people. And even when we can't do it as a people because you can't find nobody who thinks like you, who has the same vision as you, you're going to have to carry that baton and be an influence on others to wake them up of what they knew the past to be. That's the bottom line. It's, I don't know. I'm going to wrap it down here, but I'm going to talk more like this. I can go on for another three hours if I push it. There's so much more that I want to say. You know what? Tomorrow night I'll come back and say some more. Right? I don't know if anybody wants to come in and say anything, so I'll just... Drop the link here. You don't have to if you don't want to. I just said I was going to start a rant and, and just rant on. And really and truly, if you ask me to repeat what I said in the last hour and nine minutes, I'm like, I was in a trance. I didn't know. So I hope I didn't insult anybody. I hope I didn't say anything wrong. I just spoke from the heart. And we got to get to that basic vibration again. There's the link inside the chat room. If you want to come in and say a few words, feel free to do so. Don't come in here and talk for five hours. <laughs> you can say something if you want, and I'll give it a few minutes, and I'll wind it down, and I want to get to the heart um, more and more like that. Because every day we cut on the news, and we have people, like I said earlier, who slant reality to keep us in fear so they can make money. What do you mean, Scurve, making money? Well, like I said earlier today in that fear show that I spoke when I woke up, that the advertisers that sponsor so-called mainstream news platforms, they're paying to keep that platform going. And the platform has a responsibility 
to keep the butts in the seat and the eyes on the screen because you have your competitors on so many different platforms. But you have to sprinkle it up a little bit with a little more fear, with a little more sensationalism to keep people on edge. And just like I said earlier, I'm not verbally plagiarizing myself, but it came from the same source. We don't even know what's going on around the corner from where we live. But we know what the enemy puts in our head to keep us in fear, to keep us drunk with fear, so they can control us because we're afraid now. Right now, more than ever before, if we have to go back to the past mentally, to that part where we were functioning at our and vibrating at our highest, then mentally let go of this foolishness of the present and let's go back to the past. Yeah, we may not put on the same clothes. We might play some of the same songs. Music therapy is very good. Think of songs that make you feel good. It's a natural stimulant. I wouldn't say drug because drugs will have a side effect. And the only side effect about good music, when music was music, is that it will amp you up naturally. We need to go back to that and reclaim our spirituality. And I don't mean fighting over a denomination of a church that you're going to or a mosque, right? No, that connectedness that keeps the animals, which we are animals technically too, but the animals out in what they call the wild, which is very orderly. It keeps them alive. Here we are with good hospitals, right? I wouldn't condone hospitals. I'm just saying that as a figure of speech. We have a place to go to that's supposed to heal us and help us heal, but we know to deal with that. And we have places where we can get food 24-7 in the bigger cities. And we have places where we can get too fast for relaxation and doctors will take care of us, and we're more jacked up than the animals in the wild. I never saw a deer have a nervous breakdown from stress. Nature is the closest thing in manifestation to the creator to let you know how we should be living. Look at nature. Look at, look at the crabs. Look at the, 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 the pinches on the crab and how it grabs. And you look at the construction uh, uh, machinery, how it emulates and has leverage to lift up heavier things. And it looks like big insects. Where do you think they get the design from? Nature. They go to nature, and we're trying to run away from nature, and we should be running to nature. Even if you don't build a house in nature, understand how nature works. Understand how it works and apply it to your life. And even if you're living in the concrete jungle and you have a fire escape, get some, some small pots and have something growing there. It may not be able to feed you for the next five or six months. But it's a reminder to you of what can happen and what should be the principles we have to live by, the principles of respecting each other and having an order that we're not running around in lust, in heat, wanting to lay down with everybody, that we're not running around greedy, jealous of what anybody else has that they worked hard for, or if they were gifted it, they were gifted it for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. And even if you have two nickels only in your pocket to rub together and the next person has a million dollars that you wish them the best, 
and you do whatever you can to uphold them and push them up higher. Your time is coming. You'll get yours. What's for them is theirs, and what's coming for you is you. The problem is we have all this identity problem going on with our people. We want to be this, and we want to be that. And yes, most of the time we have some of this and that in us, especially after our journey from the motherland into America. We all mixed up, right? My mother's mother, my grandmother was half white. My mother's father was half white, right? So what am I? I'm not clinging on to that. Oh, yes, they're 25% white. You never knew that. I'm a black man. My vibration, I overpower those lower vibrations, that lower DNA. I'm too strong in all the other ways to be anything else. I don't claim that. I don't claim the inferior. I don't say, oh, the boss is going to give me $25 an hour, but I told him, please just give me 10 No, I deserve 100 and more. Understand that, right? So if we get back to loving ourselves, if we get back to the root, see, this is why folks over in China, I have to say it, they may have the sexist thing going on because it's a man's world over there, and it's about power. So it's the haves and the have-nots, men and women. But they have less barriers to get over. We have thrown all these identities to accept that dilutes the overall purpose and force of our collectiveness. So the Chinese, they all look the same over there now, don't they? Yeah, they all say we all they look all the same. So therefore, there's less barriers to break down because many of the women are like, hey, listen, we ain't gonna get through anyway because it's not right. Women should have a fair share. We understand, but we all have our roles, and they have their roles. And like my brother Pope Leo X on a private phone call told me. He was like, the first thing that one of the leaders did was get all of the white people out of China. And the second thing he did, he wouldn't allow people to congregate on a level of religion. If you want to believe what you want to believe, you can believe it and do what you do behind closed doors. But there ain't going to be no churches out here. And you see how they grew. Because they didn't have all this wishy-washy, pie-in-the-sky illusionary, whatever, but there is a spirituality and there is something that's real. But all of this made up stuff and, and oh, I'm Cuban and I'm Dutch and I'm mixed with this and, I, and everything else but black. We get in these black organizations want to act like we're not that. We brag about the other while the other wishes they were us. Getting their butt lift and Botox shot in the lips and going to the tanning parlor and getting the plastic surgery while making fun of you, sister, when you were younger, making fun of your beautiful skin. Oh, my God. I'm a black man, and I got a fetish for black women. The full lips, the pretty eyes, the cheekbones. Don't matter what the size of the complexion, but I love me a brown sister. You understand? I'm speaking as a man raw. No disrespect to Mrs. Curve, right? I'm just saying what it is. I know what flavor of ice cream I like when I go to Baskin Robbins. I don't care if there's 32 or 33, whatever the number is. What is it, 32, 33, right? That's what it is. I know my flavor. I love me some chocolate. That's not me grandstanding and you say, well, I found out Lance was screwing around with 10 white women in the past. No, 
You trace my past and ask any of my friends, they will tell you what I like. It's always been that way. This ain't no grandstand and, you know, you find out I was in China in a jacuzzi with a bunch of Chinese. No, I'm not throwing off on my brother. I'm not even going to say his name. We got to stop this foolishness. And we got to be just like that airplane, that aircraft that is running low on fuel. We have to decide what we toss out. Because if we don't toss out the things that are insignificant, not important to when we land, we won't land. Because all this heavy weight that we're carrying is burning up precious fuel. And if we don't get rid of this useless cargo in our mind, in our body, in our spirit, we're not going to make it to land. You can hold on to that pride and hold on to that delusion, but you're going to end up crashing into the water. And I don't think anybody here wants that. Anyway, I'm going to wrap this down right now. It's 2.19 in the morning. I can stay up for another couple of hours until the sun comes up, but I'm going to kind of relax and meditate right now. And I just want to let you know, I don't know where the words came from. I just had to do it. You know, we get up in the first thing in the morning and we plan all day. We can't tell you exactly when we go to the little bathroom. Well, you know, at uh, a 2.19 in the afternoon, I'm going to do a number one. And 5.35, 5.36, I'm going to do a number two. No. But when the call of nature beckons you to find that toilet or that alleyway or that space behind the dumpster, you must go. So we must be in that state of mind that when a word is given to us, to pass on to our brothers and sisters, we don't even have to know why. Once we feel that sense of urgency, we must just do it. I was dozing off earlier. And I was like, listen, I, I got to do this. What you going to talk about? I don't know. There's a couple of people, people here close to me. I was like, what am I going to talk about? I'm like, I, I'm going to talk about this. It just came to me. Jing, jing. Here it go. What am I going to talk about tomorrow morning? I don't know. I know we have a show tomorrow night dealing with homeless U.S. veterans. And that should be 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I don't know if uh, daylight savings time has taken effect. I know it's going to be in early November. Is it now where the hours have changed over yet? That means that if it's 2 o'clock there, in the afternoon, it's going to be seven for me. But if it hasn't taken effect yet, it's going to be six for me. But it doesn't matter. It's the wee hours, and I'm going to wake up early. I got stuff to do. I'm still going to do a show before I leave the house. That's what I commit to. And as I get higher up in the chronological so-called ages, which time doesn't matter in the spiritual level, but the bottom line is still, I have to utilize my time correctly from this point on. Those are my instructions. Lance, I protected you throughout all of the craziness and devilment that you've experienced in your life. I kept your bloodstream clean. I kept you from catching those bullets that were meant for someone else, but you heard flying over your head. I kept you away from harm from the jealous men that saw that the young ladies gave you a little more attention than them without having to be rich. Those times that you took your bicycle and rode through Brooklyn in the roughest neighborhoods, Mother Gaston Boulevard, Brownsville. Huh? We protected you. 
when you were riding your bike through the South Bronx and they rolled out tires and you were in the abandoned, around the abandoned buildings, they were trying to make you fall and take your bike and take your money. I protected you. So now I realize I'm walking a little more careful now. Like, woo, I was protected. But why was I protected? Because I'm that good? No, because I have a message to give and things to come through me that have nothing to do with me. I ain't great, y'all. When my pen guides the pen or my hand guides the pen and the pencil to come up with an illustration, I didn't do that. I just let it take over. You know, some people talk about, oh, yes, I mess with Ouija boards, and when you put your hands and it guides you, well, I don't know what's guiding that, but I know it's something that's good that's guiding me, and I've been protected. And I have to say, you know, I'll sprinkle my own little jokes in there, little anecdotes and everything like that, make it to be appealing and something that is uh, entertaining. But at the core, I ain't got nothing to do with that. I was just chosen for a role, and I embrace it wholeheartedly. And that's what we need to do. No matter what our position on the team of life, no matter what our position on the team in our communities, accept it. Because the smallest, most humble position is actually the greatest. Because if you can execute what you need to do in that position, even if it's not seen, even if your name is not up in lights, it's even greater because you kept that ego in check. You humbled yourself and did what you had to do, and then you'll be exalted. And when you are visible and have the adoration and, 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 and love of the people visibly, that's the responsibility that you're still supposed to do what you have to do. That's why so many of the pastors in the black community fall. They get caught up in this thing. It ain't got nothing to do with them when they're authentic. Because we know most of them are jive turkeys. They get that ego rush from being up in front of the podium and all the pretty girls down in the front row with them pretty legs crossed. He can have his pick of it. But even then, that is not as bad. Now, one sin is not worse than the other. When you start going up in a place looking at little boys, that's a whole different story. Right? It's all bad. But bring me back to the old days when that kind of thing didn't go on. I have been in churches, y'all where it's more than one person in a stall. Look down and see two pairs of feet facing each other. I went to a tent revival because of my friends that I grew up with, and they were like, come on, Lance, come on, Lance, come on, Lance. Because, see, they got scared in 1982 when I was really bearing down on my training for bodybuilding because I was going to turn 20 on April 8th, 1983. So in 82, I better had won as many competitions as a teenager as I could because next year I was going to be in the open class against men on steroids. Well, teenagers on steroids too. But they've been at it 15, 20, 25 years, and I wouldn't have stand a chance. So when I was training heavy and hard and some of my friends that I didn't really hang out as much with, but they knew me growing up. They were like, oh, we got to go on and talk to Lance and witness to him. Oh, he's shriveling up. Look at his face. His face looked like a skull. They didn't understand what my body looked like and what bodybuilding was all about. But they thought I was withering away. Kept my body covered up. 
They didn't know that I had all that muscle on me hiding. But they were trying to witness to me. So they said, come to the revival. They really were concerned. And I said, you know what? I'll come with you. I'll come with you. It was mainly for them. But I knew I was all right. Who would you believe when I got there? And this was in Brooklyn. I forgot what part of Brooklyn, but it was around maybe Starrett City, Pennsylvania Avenue. It was a huge lot. And it was this tent. And they had all these guest pastors preaching and stuff like that. And so when the service came to an end, as always, they say, if you believe what you heard today and want to give your life to the Lord, please step forward now. So all of a sudden, you know, I ain't stepping forward up there. But I noticed that there's a brother standing next to me. And said, brother, I notice you here and I know I sort of look in your eye and if you don't want to step up, you can accept the Lord right here. Now, earlier days when I was young and didn't know as much, you know, the formalities I might have gone through. But another one to my right, there one in front of me. And I noticed that these brothers weren't manly at all. Then the one that took the cake had lip gloss on. He painted on more of a little mustache. And it seemed like he had foundation on. Then I look around, it was about eight, nine of them. And the one guy that came first, he was like, well, you know, I was here first with him. I'll, I'll take care of him. And it let me know beyond a shadow of a doubt. When the one that showed up third that was in front of me, as big as he was, looked like he can kill off a whole bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken in one spot. I wouldn't want him using my bathroom because it looked like he'd blow it up. As big as he was, looking like a linebacker. And he was the third one because he intimidated the second one that was next to me. He busted out and said, ah, you always do this to me with the good ones. I'm taking him. I'm going to bring him to the Lord. And I was in a panic. And I'm looking for my original friends like, you left me to these sharks? Now I know I could have gotten violent and got them all away from me. But I said, listen, I tried to be slick. There was a bathroom, a makeshift bathroom. It wasn't a shipping container, but it was the same size as a 40-foot shipping container. And one side was for the women and the other side was for the men. I said, I'll be right back. And I ran to the bathroom to duck for a while, but all of them followed me in there, acting like they had to pee. I just left. They grabbed me on my shoulder. Come back. We wanted to. I'm like, uh-uh. I didn't even wait for my friends to get a ride home. I knew the city back then real good. I found myself on the train. I was out. What a mess is that? This is why they don't want real men. The threads that hold the suit together. They're removing the strategic threads. But we're falling apart like the suit that don't got no stitches in it. I had to say it the abonic way to be more effective. Wow. I don't know. Maybe I'll come back tomorrow with a style like this, tomorrow night. But when the feeling hits me, I can't make it happen when it's not natural. But when it hits me, trust me, I'm going to let it flow like this. No one else came in to talk. It's cool. I'll be back here tomorrow. And, um, well, I'm already in tomorrow. Most of you are still in yesterday unless you live in the Atlantic Ocean, right? <laughs> Four hours behind me on the East Coast and seven hours behind me on the West Coast. But just know that I love you all. This is not any money grab. This is not any 
attention grab. This is just me in West Africa listening to all the animals as I look out the back window and see the mountains, not daring to go out there <laughs> and get bit up by something. I love nature, but you have to handle it with care. And it keeps me company, and you keep me charged, and it keeps me focused to forge forward to whatever it is that I'm supposed to do for the rest of my life and that righteous trajectory and the destiny and the legacy that I'll eventually leave, not because it's me, it's just my job. Because if I refuse to do it in my own little way, someone else will take my place and I'll be long forgotten. Much love to you all. Oh, yes, yes, uh, Gifty. Yes, with the uh, Africans, the Central African, whatever, they got rid of certain countries dealing with them. I, I forgot the details. I have to read up on that because they're mad now. Nobody wants to deal with America now. Nobody's scared of America now. All the resources are over here. So we're going to make you pop Dixie up under us because we're losing our grip. Now, I'm not saying us. I'm saying that's what America's saying. We're losing our grip on the power we thought we had. Now we're realizing we're trying to fight everybody's wars, deluding ourselves. They should turn all of those resources around that they're building for war and set up the infrastructures, the roads, the schools for the children, the, the ailing economy. The borders that are open, letting everybody else in. You don't know how many sleeper cells are in America right now. The borders are wide open. Our children are addicted to all types of new and strange drugs. There's all kind of STDs going around. The stress, the mental illness that's out there. There's the fear. All of these things. You know, so I don't know. Like it was told to me. Only God can save America. That's the bottom line. Oh, let me let me check it out. You just texted me the screen screenshot. Let me see. Let me see. I got my phone right here. Let me open it up. Here it is. U.S. to remove Uganda, Gabon, Niger, and Central African Republic from. Agoa trade program. Ain't that something? Ain't that something? They mad. America's mad. These countries ain't going for the foolishness. This alphabet rainbow foolishness. So if we go down, we're going to take away any connection that benefits you. So you fall too. So you can be subservient to us. You better watch the wickedness you did, America. Stop worrying about everybody else. Because with the resources and if they have enough understand, understanding and what, who and what they are and what they have, you don't want America who's going to have to worry. <laughs> it's amazing. Thank you so much, Gifty, for sending that to me. I knew, I saw, you know, I couldn't read it off my head like that. But, yeah, I'm going to look into that, and that's probably something I'm going to talk about at some point tomorrow after I educate myself as to what it is and let the Spirit guide me. But, yeah, I'm going to definitely ease off now, and um, we're going to talk about some deep things. I don't care what YouTube does. <laughs> you know what I mean? They don't have to like what I they – can, they can shadow ban me. They can keep the numbers down. 
you know, as long as I have the connection with you. And like I always say, if you don't see me here on any social media platform anymore because they're coming after a lot of people, you can always go to landscurve.com and see what we're doing. And there's a lot of transferal of links and different things that I have to do. And when I finish that work, it may take me six months to do it, a little bit every day. But once it's done, and I will still be on YouTube if I'm still here, but I'll be on other platforms. Then I will show my backside and let it all hang out. And I don't mean my butt. I mean, it, mean what's in my heart to say. But anyway, we're all over the place. Anyway, and I thank you all for your support and your help and just hanging with me here. Because in actuality, I don't know as much as everyone else here does. You all feed me information, and I learn so much from you. I'm just a big mouth in the class reading off what you gave me, just like what Gifty did and many others who are here. They show me things. Hey, hey, talk about this. This is important. Let me explain this to you. So I might be the face plate on this particular platform, but it's everybody who's here who feeds into me and keeps me strong and keeps me focused and keeps me hip to what I have to do. Anyway, I'm going to say it again. I'm going to sign off. I'm going to drop a few phone calls after this, and I'm vibe. I feel high naturally. But kudos to the past. We can escape the craziness of the present to go back to a time that even if it wasn't perfect, it undergirded us and brought us up. None of us came up without any issues and without any challenges in our life. We all have a certain measure of or a sprinkling of or a major bit of dysfunction that we have to unravel. We all had that ball of yarn it's tangled, and we got to untangle this thing. And some of us get it untangled by 34 years old. Some of us get it untangled by 8 years old. Some of us don't get, uh, get it untangled until we're 59. But whatever, you get it untangled. Just don't give up. Just want to say much love to you all. Lance Curve out. And I'm loving the vibe that we had tonight. Thank you all so much. I'll be back. I'm going to sleep. I'm going to wake up. I'm coming right on back. Waking up with the stuff in the corner. I'm like, God, dog, last Senator, he really meant it. <laughs> Doesn't this guy sleep? No, I don't really. I don't sleep on my position. I'll get my sleep. But I'm not sleeping on what it is that I have to do. So much love to you all. Take care. And I will see you once again shortly. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.